It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Here's our host, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio. During a long week in the House of Representatives that ultimately led to the election of Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House, one of the negotiators, one who was often referred to by both the left and the right as an honest broker, good faith negotiator, Representative Chip Roy from the great state of Texas uh, was focused on the rules of the House as being what he was most concerned about. And he actually joins us on the line now. Representative Roy, thanks for jumping on. Glad to be on with my dear friend. Uh, Boyd, it's great to talk to you. It's been a couple months since I saw you, but uh, great seeing you talk a couple months ago. Uh, it was great to have you here, and uh, I will always have as my fondest memory, uh, I think it was uh, during a one of those shutdown showdowns uh, to fund the government. I believe it was in December. Of course, it's always in December. It was uh, 2 o'clock in the morning. We still hadn't seen the thousands of pages, and we ended up buying some meat and going on top of a townhouse and trying to barbecue in December in Washington, D.C., and I, as I recall, it didn't end well. I think it was a little more like uh, sashimi than it was steak in the end. And I think I remember listening to some very bad music with both Mike Lee and Ted Cruz, but we'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We'll leave that at that. Uh, well, let's talk about the all-nighter uh, that has been uh, moving through. Obviously, uh, Leader McCarthy is now the Speaker of the House. Uh, but to me, the most important part of this and what goes beyond the headlines, the headlines are often so wrong. We want to get underneath those. Uh, and I want you to talk to us for a minute about the key rules in the House. Uh, let's set aside the vacating the chair piece. We'll come back to that. But what were some of those key elements in terms of rules that you thought were so significant that would change the way the House runs and the way the members represent their districts? Uh, you know, it's a great question, Boyd. And look, this goes back to last summer in July when a group of us got together and said, what do we need to do to transform the House of Representatives to work for the American people again? You know, and I know how this place is fundamentally broken. We set out to try to make sure that bills would be readable, that you could have 72 full hours to read them, that the bills should be closer to single subject. The bills should be able to have germane amendments, not random amendments that have nothing to do with the underlying subject that we should be able to ensure that we were able to go after certain spending and agencies, which was a former power of the House, that had been taken away, something called the Holman Rule. These were things that we wanted to change to make this place work right. Another thing was ensuring that we could get votes on amendments in the appropriations fight, so that when you have a spending bill on the floor, that I would be able to offer an amendment to cut, for example, Planned Parenthood funding, or cut, for example, a spending that's going to some woke uh, divisions at the Department of Defense, or to go and cut some uh, woke energy policies that are destroying our energy reliability. These are things that you can do if you have the tools, but we haven't been able to do that for a long time. So I worked really hard to do that. Uh, but look, it took time. It took a fight because this town doesn't like to be pushed upon. You saw that in very raw display last week on the floor of the House when certain members uh, had a little conflict. But you know what? This is not new, right? Jefferson and Adams famously sparred. I mean, look, Adams and 
uh, I'm sorry, Hamilton and Burr duel, right? I mean, so <laughs> we've had conflict before. Um, it's okay. We need to have a little temporary conflict in order to get our party forward. We accomplished a lot last week. We got spending restraint, a promise to cut cap and balance our spending. And uh, we're going to have some serious changes here, uh, I think, that will carry our country forward. And we're united now, better than ever. A week later, we are much more united as a party. Yeah, and I think it's so interesting. And this is, uh, I think, again, one of the vastly underreported things is whether somebody's a, a Democrat or a Republican, a conservative or a liberal uh, one of the things that you really did in terms of this ability to offer an amendment, I mean, it's been since 2016, 2016, since anyone's been able to offer an amendment on appropriations bills on the floor. And I think there's been a lot on both the left and the right who very quietly, because uh, they don't want to be heard, uh, have been cheering that, wow, I can actually do the job that I was elected to do, the job that I ran for, and actually be able to make a bill better or cut out something that's bad in a bill. Well, that's exactly right. And look, I like, there's no perfect scenario, right? If you have a fully what you call open rule, right, where anybody can offer amendments for any subject for any length of time, well, then you can end up in endless circles and you can end up with things getting co-opted. But that's part of the thing about tightening the rules down on germaneness and yeah. single subject. Let's put something on the floor. Let's debate it. Let me give you an example. Ukraine funding. We have a divide or a difference of opinion in our party about how we should handle Ukraine. But part of that is because we've never had a full and open airing of the issue on the floor. Mm. What is our national security interest? How long are we going to be there? How do we pay for it? What are the limits to our involvement? What are the, uh, in, you know, what are the good things about our involvement? That's all stuff that we need to debate. We should put a bill on the floor, debate it for a week, like offer amendments. You know, people forget. The Civil Rights Act of 1964 was on the floor of the United States Senate for three months. Mm. We are too quick to jam bills down to the floor, say we got to pass them because we need a message. We need to go out and say we did something. But in the end, we're not doing anything at all. So I think these changes will help. But don't over don't overlook the commitment that we received from the speaker to move forward spending an appropriations bill that will balance in 10 years that will cap spending at FY22 levels, which would pull back on the monstrous growth in spending that the Senate just passed in December, and that we would be able to then use the debt ceiling as a tool to achieve those ends. That's a big deal for the Speaker of the House to do that. And we, we accomplished that through fighting and, frankly, in the face of some awfully uh, ugly criticisms by even people in our own conservative movement. But we marched forward together as a team of 20 who ultimately stood the line and I think got some serious reforms and changes for the American people. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do? in the face of an international disaster decades in the making. That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. 
Find us at kslpodcast.com. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen. Uh, so important. I want to do a, a little instant preview, and, and we're going to bookmark this so we can play it again in the summer. Uh, when it comes to the the debt ceiling, uh, this is one of those that we wait around, we wait around, and then suddenly it's, you know, the threat of the full faith and credit of the United States is, you know, we can't let that happen. And it becomes this fake fight and false choice that we often get in Washington. Uh, and I love the fact that you are raising this now. Because we, we estimate we'll probably uh, hit that ceiling sometime in the summer. Uh, but why not begin that debate on the floor now so we can actually get some changes so we're not having the same conversation down the road? Well, boy, that's a really great question and a really good point. And that's part of why we're raising that now is to force the conversation. Everybody likes to play brinksmanship and say, oh, my gosh, we're going to risk the default of the debt in the United States. We're not going to do that. We're, we can prioritize our spending. But one thing is for sure, we shouldn't just blindly raise the debt ceiling without actually doing our job to restrain our uh, fiscal debauchery. It's absurd what we're doing. You can't just it's, it's as close to we have as a uh, to a balanced budget amendment as we have. Right. And, and we should use that tool to say, hold on, if you're going to raise the debt ceiling, if you're going to borrow more, if you're going to authorize the borrowing of more money, shouldn't you stop the reckless, rampant spending? The money that you're funding, the very bureaucrats who are stepping all over the American people, the funding of the FBI that's targeting parents as domestic terrorists, the funding of a DHS that refuses to secure the border, the funding of an education department that's out of control and interferes with local schools. Those are all things that we could stop doing. We should have that debate now. Republicans should not allow them to blame us for some sort of brinkmanship. Let's pass bills, send it to the Senate, and then let Chuck Schumer, Chuck Schumer own that, that situation. Yeah, it's so important to have all of those discussions now, not in the summer, not when we're up against the brink, uh, waiting for the you know Armageddon moment to happen, and we, we can't let that happen. Uh, as you look at it, as, as you start to move forward, obviously dealing with what happens on the Senate side is, is another thing. Uh, what is that in terms of uh, what you are for? Uh, a lot of people say, well, we know what they're against, uh, and those are the battles that you're off. You always have to be ready for those battles, for sure. Uh, but what's the, the positive vision? What are the things that uh, you're hoping that with a Republican majority and some of these rules in place that Republicans can lead out to in terms of a vision uh, that could make a difference? Well, here's what I believe we need to do for the American people and for our country, right? I believe that we need to ensure that we stop spending money that we don't have, racking up debt, funding the very bureaucracy and tyrants that are undermining our liberties, And speaking of liberties, we need to stop the weaponization of government against the American people that is undermining their civil liberties and undermining their freedom. We need to focus our federal government on the things it's supposed to focus on, a strong national security with a strong defense, a strong military that is not woke and that is focused on blowing things up and killing people because that's what a military is for. That is what we need, not a a, a social engineering experiment wrapped in a uniform. And finally, we need to have radical federalism in which we are agreeing to disagree, push most of the decisions back to Utah, to Texas, and to all the states of the union, and get the federal government out of the business of basically ticking us all off and making each other at each other's throats. We can do all of that if we do our job here. Cut the spending back, diminish the power of the federal government, highlight the infirmities and what's going on with the bureaucracies. That's why one of the things that we demanded was a church commission style weaponization of government committee 
and that we could then use to go after the abuses that are occurring at all these agencies. Again, defining a parent as a domestic terrorist for daring to go to the school board to defend his daughter. You know, look, we, we're going to work hard to get these things accomplished. And I got to say, you got to meet my then legislative director, now chief of staff, Sabrina Hancock, a native of Salt Lake City. And I'm blessed to have her here in the office working for me. Uh, fantastic. We were just thinking maybe we could annex uh, Texas 21 and uh, add another member of Congress over here. So <laughs> we uh, we appreciate your your time, Representative Roy. It's obviously been a, a huge week, a lot of battles. And uh, we, we join in that idea of radical federalism. Uh, in fact, part of our mantra on this show is to make federalism sexy again, uh, because it is at that state level, that laboratory of democracy level, that we should be solving most of these problems. Uh, Chip Roy, we appreciate you taking out some time on a very busy week in our nation's capital. We look forward to having you back on the show again real soon. Happy to do it, my friend. God bless you and your family. God bless Utah and this great country. All right. Again, that's uh, Chip Roy, representative for the 21st District in Texas and a part of the negotiations. And again, a lot of it, if you get past just the headlines of the battle and the who's the speaker and all, and all the votes and how many rounds, but you get down to some of the things that were negotiated in that, that's what matters. 72 hours to read a bill before you have to vote on it. I don't think that's crazy. I think that's pretty common sense. I think we should all hope that our representatives have time to read a bill before they have to vote on it, that they can offer amendments to make it better, that they get closer and closer to single-subject bills so we're not having these massive bills filled with all kinds of pork and earmarks uh, that is so much part of the wasteful spending, uh, that there can be some accountability in those agencies that are so critical, uh, and on it goes. Those are important things. Uh, And the thing that I keep sensing from both sides of the aisle is that, yeah, that really would allow us to do the job that I thought I was getting into when I ran for office. Uh, because it's not about representing Team Red or Team Blue. It's about representing approximately 761,000 people in each of the House districts across the country. They're all basically the same size. And they are what should be represented in the House of Representatives. Not Democrats, not Republicans, not, not even Kevin McCarthy, not Hakeem Jeffries. Not Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell. Each of those representatives, each of those senators should have a voice, should have a vote, and be able to offer amendments, have time to read the bills. Uh, Those are some important things, uh, and I agree with a lot of the assessment around uh, Representative Roy that he was an honest broker in this. Uh, He was the good faith negotiator to get some things in the rules package that should actually make a difference in terms of what in terms of what actually gets done. All right, we'll step aside for a quick commercial break. Much more to come on Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Stick around. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America, but the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com. 
follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.